Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome once again to Under the Macroscope, our weekly podcast uh, in conjunction with Skybound Capital's chief strategist based in the London office, Jabir Sadawala. We're going to mix things up a little bit today. Uh, we do have Jabir on the podcast, but we've also got uh, one of our, shall we call him younger members of uh, the Skybound team to join a, a bit of a debate because in the last week or so, Cryptocurrencies has been a, a hot topic uh, for discussion across many forums. And before we get into this uh, debate between two of the Skybound Capital team, I thought I'd take you back a few years to when internet banking was introduced. Think about making an EFT for the first time. Think about making an online purchase and putting your credit card details uh, onto a website for payment for delivery of an item. Today, it seems like second nature, doesn't it? I'm sure you'd all agree, but you have to admit that there were plenty of times where you didn't trust, you didn't want to take that bold step, but eventually you did, and now everybody's fallen into line. So the question I have for our two participants today, and I'm gonna start with Ross, is around exactly that issues of trust because surely that is currently the biggest stumbling block for cryptocurrencies and their broad acceptance a lack of trust so my question to our participants is what is fueling lack of trust on the one hand and first to ross why should people be trusting cryptocurrencies yeah thanks man thanks for having me on the podcast it's great to be here so cryptocurrencies are a very young asset class slash currency, if I can call them that. Uh, they've only been around for about 10 years or so. Bitcoin, uh, if I concentrate on that one first, uh, was born out of the financial crisis by uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't know who he or she is. It could even be an institution. So there will only be about 21 million Bitcoins uh, available to be mined. Currently, we're close to 19 million Bitcoin that have been mined. Uh, this is this is something that we know is, 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 a, is a really good point for Bitcoin because it's finite. Something like uh, fiat currencies, US dollars, it, it uh, is infinite. As we've seen, the feds have been printing more money every year, time and time again. Something else that uh, Bitcoin has in its uh, bag that is uh, unique is the ability to be decentralized. And that is one of its core underlines. It has no government or institution that runs it per se. It's managed by some board members and, and people who are really keen on, on making sure that the technology grows. But it doesn't have this the centralized ability. You know, I'm not to say that this might not be needed, but it currently that has been the biggest growth of it because as we know, uh, 2008 was the financial crisis. After that, that is where Bitcoin came from. And it is from this that it is perceived that led to its growth. People wanted to get away from the banks. They wanted to grow and not be reliant on you know, their money sitting in the bank accounts maybe. And I think this might play a role in it. It's a, it's a very good proposition for, for a currency to come out after a financial crisis. Another really good element of, of Bitcoin is that it's distributed. So what does that mean? So take all the transactions on a, an accounting ledger, you itemize them, 
and and what you basically do is you then send this ledger out to all the miners inside the ecosystem on the blockchain and you get them to vet every single transaction that happens and then all these miners validate these transactions at the same time and, and approve them and they basically check the signatures and make sure that these transactions are accurate and once all the miners agree the transaction is validated so this is this is important because it, it's making sure that every single transaction has its place and it hasn't been falsely created or deleted and and this is a, a, a really good element is bitcoin has never had a bitcoin deleted and it's never had a bitcoin created something again uh, the financial system in fiat currencies we have counterfeit people can print uh, us dollars and they can print uh, pounds and this is something that's unique to bitcoin that it hasn't been able to to penetrate these sort of hacks in a way it's not to say it might not happen i'm sure there are plenty of hackers out there who are trying very hard but so far they have yet to break into the blockchain itself we trust banks because they've been around for so long you know but the idea and notion of them isn't to say that they are all trustworthy you know some of them have had violations i actually follow a violations tracker that uh, monitors all the banks out there and companies out there in the world and one bank in america has uh, admitted to 82 billion dollars worth of violations in 214 counts now yeah that's not to say that they're not uh, uh, you know legitimate and stuff but it's just to say that there are things that are troublesome as well that they admit to doing wrong something that we need to look at and i think as skyline capital it's prudent that we you know research these things and understand them the best we can not only just for ourselves but for our clients so they don't land up in the wrong places they don't land up doing you know and some of these, these scams that are out there and there are plenty of them in the cryptocurrency world and we need to be mindful of that um, I, I know that there are plenty of these and i think it's more of a, a an idea for us to understand it and and, and be, be there alongside our clients so let me throw this now to Jabir, who by his own admission said that he really battled with the concept of moving away from telephone banking. So uh, you could say maybe a late adopter when it came to uh, internet banking, but uh, a convert. Jabir, what will it take uh, for you uh, to, to really trust uh, the crypto world? Okay, thanks, Matt. It's, um, okay, if you, if you look at the system of money, um, let's deal with this issue first about, you know, the fact that crypto is still around. Um, you're absolutely right earlier when we were talking that uh, crypto was born out of the GFC, the global financial crisis in 2008. Absolutely right. And um, I accept that they are currencies. They are indeed currencies. I don't refute that. But if you look at the actual price movement of cryptos, starting with Bitcoin, because really that is the most significant player in that group. The price did not actually start moving, and I mean exponentially, until 2017. Until then it was flat. So the idea that we now had a savior currency coming on board from 2008 is a bit of a fallacy. So, you know, on the surface, yes, it's been around for at least a decade. But the reality is it's only gathered steam since two, uh, 2017. 
So we're talking three stroke, four years. Um, and there are many ways of explaining why that is. The second point here is that look at the environment that we've been in, exceptionally low interest rates, disinflation, even deflation, the printing of endless money, and so on and so on. And now we can add to that fiscal currency, you know, fiscal deficits. Um, so it's been an environment in which pretty much any asset class could go up. It was fertile territory for that. And if you look at the, um, the, the evolution of asset prices, it started, and I'll never forget this, 9th of March, um, you know, 92. It started, um, it started, sorry, 9th of March, 2009. It began with equity prices going up and they've been pretty much going up endlessly. And you, if you were fully invested, you made a lot of money out of it. And then it started to move to other asset classes. We've seen how gold has also had a leg up. Um, now, more recently, it's around uh, cryptos. And I'm just, for the sake of argument, I'm just gonna focus on Bitcoin. Um, so I don't totally buy that there has been a real sort of fundamental basis for cryptos to, uh, to have really set their roots in the ground. Um, if you look at the world of fiat currency, um, it's a rather misleading name, but um, you know, essentially what it is, it's, it's a centralized system of banking in which the government issues you a note and it says, I promise to honor the value of that note. It's based on trust. And it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you have the comfort of knowing that if at any time you want to pull your money because you don't trust the banks, you can. You can go and take your money out. You have the right to do that. What you do with it is up to you after that. Okay, who's seen Bitcoin? So if we're talking about a currency that's going to become a real contender in the marketplace, there are certain conditions that it has to fulfill. First, it's got to be backed by some sort of assurance. Whereas the world of cryptos is decentralized, it's unregulated. It's amongst the little niche community of players and not that many. Secondly, it must have reach. If you look at, for instance, uh, a report done by Glassnode, okay, there aren't that many. It's starting to extend itself, but it's still heavily concentrated amongst a few users. At the last count, I think there was something like 153 million accounts associated with Bitcoin. But, you know, 147 million of those totaled 1,000 Bitcoins. So we're only talking 6 million or so with real value here. Um, the other thing is it does have to come with regulation as much as we don't like it and we don't like the burden of regulation, it must come with some kind of regulated environment because that's what instills trust. Um, and there is none here. So I accept that it's a currency, I accept it's a digital currency, um, but in order to move to a, a, a proper digital currency, it's got to be centralized. And the last point is, yes, I mean, the likes of me who've gone from telephone banking to, to uh, internet banking regularly now. You know, I, 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 I struggle to think when I last spoke to somebody on, on the phone. Um, it is so fluent that these are the uh, barriers to entry for any new currency to come on the scene. And then there's the politics and security behind it. 
I'm going to throw uh, our younger colleague a little bit of a debating bone here, because based on our lived experience for the last year uh, in, in the, the COVID-19 environment, I, I can just say, for one, from personal experience, I hardly ever carry cash anymore. And is that going to help people's mindsets? The fact that, oh, I don't want to carry, carry cash, don't want to withdraw cash, I don't want to handle cash because of all uh, the, the problems associated with that. I can tap a card or I can use my phone or, or whatever it is. Is that going to help, Ross, change people's mindsets uh, more positively towards a truly digital currency? I think what's currently happening in the world with regards to what you're referring to as digital payment is happening and it's being used by certain technologies that Visa and MasterCard offer, the squares of the world. But I think something that, that Jabir mentioned with regards to currency right now, all these cryptocurrencies do not behave like currencies actually. They're, they're too volatile. They don't have the means of transacting quick enough. And I can completely agree with that because the sense of it is it needs to evolve to get stable. You know, the dollar and the pound have had hundreds of years to get that stability. What, what we really need is for that, that transaction, the interoperability, the sustainability, and the, the ability for the, the network to grow bigger so that it can have this um, less volatility. You know, that's what we And I think once we get that, Matt, it might be 10, 15, 20 years down the line. I see it acting as a store of value almost now because it's just Bitcoin. If I can refer to that one, it's been considered the, the digital gold, right? And that notion I can understand because it doesn't pay a yield. It doesn't, you know, you know, actually function in any way as we know it, you know, gold you know, is a similar sort of idea. So I think it's going to take a while for, for cryptocurrency to fall into what you're talking about in that light. And, I look forward to that day because I think the, the technology inside blockchain has the ability to manage the ledgers and the accounts really well without a bank being involved and it takes out those costs. I think that's important. That's why this has grown so big. I think about GameStop and all these big things we've spoken about over the last week. People, retailers want to move away to have the control of their own things. They have realized they don't need to pay these big fees. They don't have to have these big banks or institutions, should I say, in between. This is a very young technology and if they can get it right, this is worth venturing down that rabbit hole, I think. Jabir, what does it take for you to be swayed uh, more towards Ross's view? Um, yeah, and it's, it's a very good view that he states. And for me, one of the key um, developments that I would need to see is some sort of centralization around the crypto process. That's absolutely key, because without that, I'm not going to have trust in that currency. Um, in fact, one of the biggest reasons cited in the US for why um, uh, Bitcoin hasn't been adopted as much as it has is because people think it's useless. That's just the harsh reality of it. And I totally get it. You know, at the end of the day, we know it in all walks of life. When it comes to digging in your pocket and actually paying for something, that's when people think twice. And uh, the notion that you can have a currency that suddenly becomes a speculator currency to something that's really substantial um, is, 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 not, um, is not a quick process. It will take a long, long time. And I think 
the politics behind it will uh, open doors to um, the digitalization of what we already have and possibly knock uh, cryptos you know, off the scene. Well, we wait and see. It's an impossible topic to cover uh, in the limited time that we have available. But I think the important thing is that we continue to, to research and really get a deep understanding of this world as it evolves. And uh, as we've seen in recent weeks, it, it, there are times when it, it evolves at a great pace. So uh, always good to know that the team is keeping a very close eye on things and uh, monitoring developments. Just to wrap up, uh, Jabir, just a quick couple of highlights from your upcoming macro view of the world. Yeah, just um, uh, really a couple of things. Um... Uh, one is that we've had some interesting economic data that's come through, particularly in terms of manufacturing and services. And um, it's, it's actually revealing an interesting picture um, in that uh, it's now starting to become very uh, focused on regions, uh, who's recovering and who's lagging behind. And the other thing is that uh, Brexit has reared its ugly head again. Um, so I'll be giving a little update on that regarding around the Irish border issue. Um, and also a couple of things further down the line. Always great to have Jabir's uh, Week in Review that comes out uh, Sunday, Monday of every week. Don't forget you can uh, go to the Skybound Capital website, www.skyboundcapital.com, uh, to listen to past editions of the Under the Macroscope podcast series. And of course, you can uh, subscribe to it there as well as on Apple, Spotify and the Google Podcast portal for Android. So uh, Ross, once again, good to welcome you to uh, Under the Macroscope. And uh, this debate, I suspect, uh, is only just beginning. And I look forward to uh, charting its progress. Uh, until next time on Under the Macroscope, have a great week, everyone.